Episode 40 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Hello, uh, my name is Randy Witt. I work with Austin Meyer over at Laminar Research. We're the authors that, uh, that author the X-Plane Flight Simulator Program. What is going on, AV Nation, and welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot Podcast. My name is Justin, and I am your host. Today, I'm talking with Randy Witt. Randy currently works with X-Plane, and as some of you might know, X-Plane is the best option for Flight Simulator out there. I know back in my day, I used to play Microsoft Flight Simulator, but that seems to be no more. And we kind of talked about that a little bit on the podcast, how X-Plane went from being kind of like the little brother, and then now they're the top dog. They're the go-to for Flight Simulator. Some of the things that we talk about in today's episode with Randy are how Randy knew at an early age that he wanted to be a pilot. Randy tells us the three steps to buying an airplane, how and why Randy started a 135 charter company, how X-Plane went from being the little dog to the top dog, how X-Plane is working on having 3D visuals for every public use airport in the world, and what it is like to run a 135 company. Aviation, I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I enjoyed talking with Randy. If you do like today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. We're getting close to 200. I believe last time I looked, it was 180. So we got 20 more to 200, and that is our goal for the end of the year, to have 200 reviews. So if you haven't left a review yet on iTunes, please do. Also, if you want to support the podcast, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash pilot. We're going to be doing stickers. We're going to be doing thank you cards. We're going to increase those benefits as well. And if you want to have, there is a special section that if you want to sponsor the podcast, you can be the official sponsor of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. So check that out on Patreon. And we also have a website, pilotthepilothq.com, where we post written and the podcast stories up there as well. I want to try to get into some product reviews too. So if you have any reviews or you have any companies that you want me to try to reach out to to get some products to review, I don't know whether it's going to be on YouTube or the podcast or Instagram or what, but um, yeah, I'm looking at getting into some, some product reviews. So let me know if you think that'd be a good idea. I think that'd be kind of cool as there's not really a platform for that for aviation reviews. So let me know in the comments, let me know in the reviews, whatever you guys want, I can make that happen. Aviation, without further ado, here is Randy Witt of X-Plane. Hey, Randy, thanks for coming on the Pilot to Pilot podcast. Yeah, you're welcome. You're very, very welcome. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. A lot of people that I've talked to have just said how influential, whether it's Flight Simulator from Microsoft back in the day, or whether it's X-Plane, that they've, it's really helped them in their process of either training or just wanting to become a pilot. So it's awesome to talk with you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, first thing I want to talk about is kind of just uh, about you and talk about why you got in aviation, how you got in aviation, what started the bug for you. Interesting story. I mean, I've, I've always loved aviation. I've always loved airplanes. For me, it was about airplanes, not necessarily about cars or even growing up as, as a teenage guy, not even about girls as much, you know. Uh, I grew up in Chicago. I can recall as a young kid being being six, seven, eight years old, climbing up out, out, out on the roof, out the window, out on the, the roof of an adjacent roof and, and watching the airliners going into O'Hare at night, you know. So uh, my first ride in an airplane was, was a birthday gift from my grandfather when I was eight years old. And that really struck a chord. I knew at that point that aviation was something I wanted to, to be involved with. I knew that, that, that flying and, and piloting and owning an aircraft was something I wanted to do someday. So uh, I started doing flight training in high school. I was paying for it myself. It was a very slow process. <laughs> uh, it took about a year and a half, maybe, maybe a year and a half kind of through high school, working summer jobs to, to earn the money to, to pay for my flight training. And then uh, was a private pilot at, at that point when I graduated from high school. Went on to earn my uh, instrument ratings and eventually my multi-engine, my multi-commercial uh, ratings. And I've been, been flying since 1987, maybe 86, somewhere in there. I've got about 2,600 hours uh, in a variety of, of single and, and twin-engine piston airplanes. Um, yeah, I've owned a Beach uh, Cessna 150 was the first airplane I bought. Oh, cool. Phenomenal little bird. Yeah. Remarkably economical. I, I logged about 300 hours in it over about two and a half years. And when I sold the airplane, I went back and tallied my my total cost per hour. It was like $8 per hour. Oh so, my gosh, that's incredible. Yeah, you can't beat that. Yeah. yeah. Did you use that for flight training at all or did you buy it after flight training? Uh, I bought that after I was a private pilot, after I was married actually. Okay. So uh, just use it as, as a little toy to, to buzz around the local airport yeah. and, and uh, just to 
to further my, my love of aviation. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I want to get into a little bit later talking about how to buy an airplane and where to buy an airplane and kind of the process of that. But right now, I kind of want to talk about your training and how that went. Did you have any struggles with your training? I know that you talked about how it was a slow process because obviously it is expensive. Kind of what did, what kind of issues did you have with that other than maybe financial? Did you have any um, I don't know issues flying? What was one thing that you couldn't really understand right away, if that makes sense? You know, I picked it up fairly quickly. I mean, it was something I was kind of always just a natural at. The, the only issue I really had as I was self-funding it was I would I would take a couple of flights and then there'd be a good period of time before I had the revenue, had, had the money to take a, another flight or two. So it was always kind of a case of sometimes one step forward, two steps back. Sometimes going back in, back with my instructor and having to kind of regurgitate stuff we had done earlier. So... <laughs> You know, in, in terms of things I've struggled with, in terms of, you know, ATC communications, I think that's something that, or radio communications at, at uncontrolled fields, that's something that everybody probably does. Yeah. But kind of picked up, I mean, it's interesting because Austin, who wrote X-Plane at the same time in a different part of the world, uh, was going through his flight training. He also received his, his pilot's license in high school. And uh, as part of his further uh, flight training, when he was doing his instrument rating, that was really the genesis of X-Plane. He was out on vacation with his family out in California, he went up to take an IPC check, right? An instrument proficiency check or an IPC check, uh, which is where an instrument pilot goes and kind of reconfirms their skills and, and shows those in the presence of an instructor. And he felt like he was behind the airplane. He felt like he was, you know, two miles in trail trying to keep up with the controllers out in Southern right. California. And that really was the beginning of what ultimately became X-Plane. Austin said to himself, well, there's got to be something I can do to make myself more competent in the cockpit, something I can do to be more comfortable in the cockpit. And he uh, went out and, and got a copy of Microsoft Flight Simulator. It was very, very early in its its development cycle and was playing with that for a number of days or weeks and said, you know, I can do better. It's kind of funny. <laughs> Here's a high school kid with no yeah. aviation, no engineering degree, uh, no, no coding abilities. And he taught himself how to code uh, with, with a book on C++ and and taught himself a, uh, engineering and aeronautics and started, started cobbling together a program which ultimately morphed, fast forward about eight years, eight or nine years, morphed into, into what we know X-Plane to, uh, today to be. That's awesome. And uh, I mean, I've used X-Plane in the past. I, I, in the past, I use it on iPad when, <laughs> when yeah. I do my training. It was just fun to go up and fly. And like you said, and when you're doing your instrument training, when you start out, you're going to be behind the airplane. You're going to, it takes a while for you to get caught up and get to speed where you feel comfortable doing it. And the normal simulators that you can get out of flight school are going to be a hundred dollars an hour, but you can use X plane and you can fly it at a fraction of the cost and you can kind of get your flows down, get your procedures down and get the flying down so you can get used to it in the airplane. And it does end up saving you money in the long run. It, you're absolutely correct. I mean, really, X-Plane was originally conceived for instrument pr proficiency. So it's instrument approaches, partial panel work, emergency procedures. But because the program is so amazingly flexible and so amazingly capable and so amazingly realistic, it's a phenomenal tool really at any stage of your pilot career, whether you're just practicing the very basic stuff, some visual maneuvers like turns about a point or S turns over a road or right. or your landings, you know, your landings to kind of polish the the procedure for the landing. I mean, the one thing that we can never reproduce for you in a desktop simulator running on your PC or your Mac or your iPad at home is really the feel of your, of your butt in the, in the seat, so to speak, right. you know, it's the actual, uh, the G loading and the oral sound of, of the wind on the windscreen. You can't yeah. really use that as effectively, nope. but still given that caveat, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal tool. And we've got pilots all over the world both at, at, at the LSA level is the private pilot level, the instrument level. I've got commercial uh, pilots. I've got uh, pilots who fly airliners that have written to me before. Uh, there's one gentleman who was in the back of, of an airliner for his airline en route to his uh, six month. Every six months they go up and do the airline pilots do recurrency training and simulator mm -hmm. things. And he said he was in the back of, you know, a Boeing 757 or whatever flying to his sim check. And he was shooting approaches on <laughs> iPad, running X-Plane mobile. That's awesome. Uh, kind of just to polish up on what he'd be doing, you know, four hours hence in, in, in the big $15 million simulator. So yeah. 
it's a pretty powerful, powerful little platform. No, it definitely is. And like I said, uh, everyone that I've interviewed has pretty much said how Flight Simulator is one of the reasons why they got into aviation. And uh, X-Plane has kind of taken over for Flight Simulator because I don't really follow. I don't know if Microsoft doesn't support Flight Simulator anymore, do they? Or do they still write it? Do you know? Interesting story. So, I mean, it, it always was the case of the big gorilla and then the small little guy in, in the corner. And that, yeah. that, you know, Microsoft at one point had 90 plus employees they were writing their flight simulator uh, suite of, of, of programs. And they've, like us, they've gone through a, a variety of different versions. Um, I mean, in the distant past, Microsoft bought the rights from a, from a program called ACES, A-C-E-S. And that was really the, the genesis of the flight simulator line. So Microsoft shut down, and we were in the midst of our best year ever. And we had just released uh, X-Plane 9 for iPhone. And it was a totally new business model, a totally new business unit for us. And, and, and the mobile app had really taken off. And at that point, uh, it was in, is in November, December. I remember clearly, um, Microsoft ended up unannounced, completely just shutting its doors and shutting down. Oh, wow. they came back, uh, and that was in, that was in 2009, I think. And then they came back a couple of years later with a program called Microsoft flight. They took off the simulator monkey or just Microsoft flight. <laughs> they were out for a couple of years. They folded again. And then they sold the rights. Uh, the commercial use rights went to Lockheed Martin, who now uh, distributes a program called Prepared 3D. And then the home use rights went to uh, Dovetail. And Dovetail spent a couple of years developing a program called Flight Sim World, which debuted earlier in 2018, just, just this past spring. And uh, they were around just for a couple of months, and they shut down as well. Oh, so no. so we're, we're pretty excited that uh, that we're kind of taking over the world in a certain sense. I think oh, yeah. that's, and, and, and no matter where you look, and it doesn't matter if you're looking at cars or tractors or flight simulators, everybody has their strengths and their weaknesses. And I'm not going to tell you that we're the best at everything, but I think we make an amazing program. And I think that we're tremendously good at, at many, many facets of the simulation. Well, there's always things to improve, always things we're working on. And that's, of course, something we're doing now is, as we prepare for the future development of that. Right. And I mean, that's a, that's just the way of life. Like, you know, like you're not going to be perfect at everything. You're going to have faults. You're going to have stuff that you need to work on. You can apply that to whether your flying career, your professional career, any career. So it's also, it's, it's great to hear that you guys are always working and you're not just sitting around being like, Oh, we're the best we're the top dog because, yeah. you, and there's going to be someone else that's going to come for you. Like there could be a kid right now playing X-Plane and be like, Oh, I think I could do better. And then uh, you don't want to be the same situation with Microsoft flight simulator. What happened there? So you always have to improve. Absolutely. And, and to be honest, I welcome that competition because that's what keeps you sharp. That's what keeps you on your toes. You know, it's funny because I, I mentioned earlier that Microsoft had 90 employees at one point, And I think with flight, it was lower. I think it was 25 or something. But at, at the same time, uh, Laminar Research was, you know, and that's our that's the company that writes X-Men. We were we were three or something. And even now, we're still a very, very small team in reference to the product and the capabilities and what it looks like. People think that we have a big, large, you know, conglomerate or, or, or holding company or something. I have people that call on the phone and say, hey, I want to speak to the accounting department or, or hey, I want to speak to the customer support department. And, and that's kind of funny because there's only really eight or nine of us that are full-time here. And, and each of us wear many different hats and do many different things. Yeah. But, but it's a small group of very dedicated, very capable people. Uh, many of us are pilots. Uh, many of us are aircraft owners that uh, you know are really deeply rooted in, in, in aviation. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I know you guys just released a new update where the graphics just got incredibly better at every single airport, right? If I remember yeah. seeing. Yeah. So, I mean, we release X-Plane in versions. The current version is X-Plane version 11. Version 11 was released about a year and a half ago. And so when you see, when, when we go from version to version, X-Plane 9 to X-Plane 10, X-Plane 10 to X-Plane 11, that's where you'll see truly the, the biggest changes, right? The sea changes in and the technology and the capabilities. And it's, it's a brand new scenery engine with every release. It's brand new aircraft models and new capabilities with ATC, for example, or, or the visuals or the sound systems, things like that. What you're talking about is the more uh, incidental releases that are inside of a version. So 11.25 just came out. Mm -hmm. we, do have, uh, we do crowdsource our scenery for the airports. So we have released a software package which allows you, as an X-Plane user, to manually go in and place from little cookie cutters we've given you, place uh, airport terminals and, and airport control tower and some other static airplanes and and and, and to kind of custom custom spec the airport that you're interested in. Maybe it's the airport you fly out of or whatnot. So we've just passed now 8,300 airports that are full 3D environments 
rip jetway uh, bridges and terminal buildings and control towers. And, and they very, very, each of these 8,000 very, very closely resemble what it looks like in the real world to go to, go to that uh, specific uh, airport in, in the real world. So right now there's, I think, somewhere in the, in the range of three to 4,000 authors that are kind of working in an ongoing fashion, knocking out the airports on Earth. There's about 26,000, 27,000 airports uh, altogether in the explain database, and, and currently we're at about 8,000 or so. So we're approaching the 25% point and, and moving through. I think at some point, maybe in the, in the distant future, maybe, maybe five years from now, we'll have, we'll have full 3D uh, airports for, for every airport. That, that certainly is the intent and the hope. That's crazy. Every airport as in like every class Delta, every small uncontrolled or just like the bigger ones are you talking about? Oh no, this is, this is, this is way more than the big ones. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. every, I mean, it's every public use airport on, on the planet basically. So uh, I think I misspoke. I think I said there's 26 or 27,000. It's actually 36,000 airports. Oh wow. It's playing database. And that's because that's how many there are on the real planet. So, so forsaking some very special use airports or private airports, you may not find those in X-Plane, but, but it's every small airport. It's every um, municipal airport and, of course, the larger commercial airports. All, all of the big Class Bravo and, and Class Charlie airports have pretty much all been done. Uh, and that, that's a U.S. term, but, but worldwide, all, all of the airports that are, that are frequented with, with airliners have, have almost without exception been, been done at this point. Yeah, I know in the past Microsoft Simulator they had kind of like the VAT sim where people get on and they other people log on and have ATC come on and they do like the full routes and the full legs. Does X-Plane have similar compatibility? Yeah, sure. So VAT sim is is a third party source and it stands for Virtual Air Traffic Simulation. And X-Plane users, just like Microsoft users or prepared 3D users or or whomever, can log into VAT sim, log into that network, and they'll see the other airplanes flying around in, in their virtual world. And, and some of the airplanes may be airplanes being simulated by X-Plane and some oh, may be cool. simulated by Flight Sim. So, uh, and there are, there are people that sit at their computer with headsets on that, that are the virtual controllers. And, and just as you need to get a, a clearance to push back and start the engines and then taxi and take off clearances and, and talk to the en route controllers as you fly from point A to point B, you would do the exact same thing on, on VATSIM. So, yeah. That capability has been around. It's been there for, for many, many years. Yeah, that's that's so cool. It's uh, I think that's valuable information and valuable training that you're going to have just if you want to be an airline pilot so you can kind of get used to what the lifestyle is going to be. Yeah, that's true. I would agree. I would so agree that, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, kind of going back to, to your story and you as a pilot, I know we briefly talked about how you have bought some airplanes. Let's say someone comes up to you, they have all the ratings, they want to buy an airplane. What is the process that someone should go through when buying an airplane? What What are the main key things that maybe sometimes are overlooked when buying an airplane? Well, you have in, in the aviation world, just like you do in the automotive world, a lot of online resources. So, uh, you know, Trade-A-Plane is, is where I have bought all my airplanes, actually. Trade-A-Plane is a, is a periodical. It's online now as well, Trade-A-Plane.com. Mm-hmm. And they've got thousands of aircraft that are for sale. And you look for an airplane, you look at the year and the make and the model, but also you look at, at a couple of very key indicators. One is the total time since new TTSN, mm-hmm. the total number of hours the aircraft has been flown, kind of like miles. If you're buying a car with 75,000 miles, that might be less than a car with, with 30,000 miles. Right. And then additionally, there are uh, to overhaul the engine, to overhaul the propellers, to overhaul ancillary systems like the vacuum pumps or the alternators or whatnot. So you'll look at that. They'll, they'll list... Uh, TSOH, time since overhaul, and uh, typical piston engines, propeller-driven aircraft engines uh, have TBOs anywhere from 1,400 up to up to 2,000 hours or so. So yeah. look at that as well. But I mean, a couple of, of the of the strongest points I've learned after nearly 30 years of flying is you really want to start low and slow. You know, let's assume that that you're a, a business owner and, and you're like, hey, I'm going to go out and buy myself a Beach Baron or buy myself a, a Piper Mirage or something. Um, you know, and there, there's a very famous story with, 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 with John Kennedy, uh, who was killed actually in a Saratoga years ago. And, and he had been flying really in the presence of an instructor and felt co- comfortable and competent. And so anyway, I would say start low and start slow. Start with a training airplane. My first airplane I bought was a Cessna 150, a, a pretty remarkable little airplane uh, in that it was insanely affordable to fly. I mean, it was uh, just, just, just about $8 an hour and he had a thousand for the airplane, so it wasn't like a two seat airplane is going to cost you fifty or a hundred grand. You know, even today you can buy them for twenty or so. Yeah. I flew it for a couple of years. I sold it for sixteen, so I made a little bit of money on on the sale actually. Oh, nice. 
Yeah. So I think step number one, you know, go low, go slow. All right. In terms of the, the airplane you're buying. Step number two, I would look at using X-Plane to kind of further your, your comfort level in the cockpit and, and the competency and whatnot. And step number three, people talk about get their itis, right? It's, it's where a pilot who's VFR rating doesn't have the capabilities of flying on reference to instruments in clouds goes on a vacation with his family and uh, gets socked in by the weather. And I, I call it get home-itis, really, because mm-hmm. it's that return flight where, where, the, where the, the gentleman might need to be at work or, or the woman might need, need to be at work on Monday or the kids have to get back to school. And, and that's when the weather is, is not really flyable, not, not for a pilot of that capability. So until you get your instrument rating and until you're well-versed on instruments, until you've, you've had some, some instrument time on, under your belt, you definitely want to be very, very cognizant of how powerful that force get home itis is. Yeah, that's very true. And that's a good point you bring up because that's not even just for a private pilot. That could be someone that works for a 135 operator that's on their last day and really wants to come home and the weather may not be very well and they or weather might not be that great, but they have the option to stay at home but not come home or stay on the road and not come home that day or go fly and come home that day and they might push it to the limit. So that little bit of knowledge can not only help a private pilot, a small or a low time pilot, but it can also help a professional pilot as well. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that that nugget of information is applicable. I mean, for somebody who's flying on charter, they're instrument rated and they're the experience under their belt. But there, there, there are certainly weather conditions which are not flyable, yeah. even with the best of equipment. Yeah. And so if your charter pilot is flying a King Air, you know his airplane will, will afford him or her many more capabilities and a much wider and broader safety margin. But but still, you're right. There are there are times when he or she should should not be in the air. Exactly, and that can be tough when your company is bearing down on you. Like, hey man, we need you from point A to point B right now. I used to fly 135 single pilot freight and uh, PC12s and a caravan, so I was constantly oh. battling the weather, going through weather, or oh. trying to figure everything out. Yeah, you. I mean, you knew better than I then. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So um, you mentioned that you started a 135 free company. That's uh, that's pretty impressive. How did you? What was the reason behind it? Was it charter? Was it freight? Um, kind of. How did you start that whole process? Yeah, it wasn't freight. Just charter. Just on okay. demand charter. I bought a Beach Baron, a 1970 Baron. It's a twin engine, uh, six place aircraft. Yep. And I set up a lease back with my local FBO, so we leased the airplane back through him, uh, through his company. And we ran that successfully for about 11 years. And for me, it was a tremendously beneficial and, and rewarding experience. Uh, in my Baron, I've got about 1,300 hours. And, and my, mine is all part 91 flying, all really for my own personal enjoyment, flying yeah. the family and whatnot. Uh, we had three charter pilots that were flying that airplane, my airplane, and, and some others. We had a King Air and a Cheyenne. Uh, and they also were doing, I mean, we were, we were going through, when you, when you move to a part 135 work, or part 141 work, it's, 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 it's hundred hour inspections. And we were running through hundred hours. I mean, holy cow, like every five weeks. Yeah. You know, I, I was flying 300 hours, 330 hours myself on a part 91 time. And my charter guys were flying probably another 300 hours. Nice. So between the two of us, we were doing like 600 hours a year. We we're doing, doing six or seven, a hundred hour inspections. So, so the airplane was very well maintained. But anyway, with all of that, Part 91 flying, all of that private flying, 300 hours plus a year at one point, uh, at the end of every year, year in and year out for, for about 11 years, it was always kind of a make even, you know, I, sometimes I, some years I'd make or make, make a couple of grand or lose a couple of grand, but, but all of my flying was, was just run through the company, all the fuel, all the maintenance, all the insurance, uh, the hangar expenses, the engine overalls, everything. And so it was, it was, it was awesome. It, yeah. was, it was awesome. I'm actually looking at getting back into, into, into some kind of a charter operation at this point. How do you start? How do you get a 135 certificate now? Uh, when, when I did mine, it was it was a while back. Keep in mind, uh, so I, I I obtained mine in like 2002. So yeah. it's been a good 15 years or so. I mean, I just worked with my local instructors and my local FISDO. Uh, the FISDO is is the branch of the FA that locally, and I'm in the Kansas City, so it's the Kansas City FISDO. And uh, worked with an instructor. You have to have so much experience in your logbook for instrument and for night and for multi-engine if you're doing a multi-commercial. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was just a check ride. So the process was, was fairly painless, fairly easy, but only because I was flying so much. I mean, yeah. there's an adage in aviation. If you're, if you're looking to buy an airplane and you're flying less than 100 hours a year, it probably makes more sense for you to rent than to own. Uh, so if you're flying more than 100 hours a year, maybe it makes sense to, to buy an airplane and have your own airplane. And again, I was flying 250, 300, 330, 350 hours at one point. Uh, so I was flying all the time. And as a result, 
it was pretty easy for me to go and, and get the, take the commercial check ride. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a commercial multi pilot, but not a commercial single. I never never did it for single because I was flying flying a Baron at the time. <laughs> That's funny, yeah. And you probably will never go back to getting your commercial single because it's like, why? You know, you can do so much more in a multi engine plane than a single engine airplane. Well, I'll tell you, I've, I've been flying recently a Piper Mirage. Oh, and cool. I've always always heard about and always knew about, but holy smokes, I'm just so incredibly impressed with this thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it'll true out. It, it's it's pressurized, so it'll fly up to twenty five thousand feet. We came back from Mackinac last week at twenty four thousand feet, and the Baron was about a four hour trip, about three hours fifty minutes. In the Mirage, it was like three hours and fifteen minutes. It was a good thirty five or forty minutes quicker. Yeah. Where you you fly faster, you fly higher, you're pressurized, you burn less gas, and it's uh it's still a six six place airplane. I'm 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 really really remarkably impressed with, with not not that I sell airplanes for Piper, right? I'm, I'm impressed with it. Holy but cool. if I did <laughs> buy it, yeah. Yeah, I've never flown a Mirage before. I've seen them and they always look cool. I've uh, I've been spoiled for flying the PC-12, which I feel like is yeah. kind of like the creme de la crop when it comes to single engine turbine planes. So it's uh, the cockpit was so comfortable and I think now it might be hard for me to squeeze into a Mirage. Well, it's definitely tighter. Definitely, yeah. definitely hard packing yourself into the cockpit because you climb through the cabin up over the wing spar, bending over. Yeah. And Austin is flying a single engine turbine now. He's, he's got a Lancer Evolution. Oh, cool. Four place composite airplane. It's all built of carbon fiber. Yeah. The empty, the empty. Grab this. The the empty weight on the airplane is like two thousand six hundred pounds, and he's swinging eight hundred fifty horsepower. So oh wow. PT six A off of a King Air three fifty, which is a large eleven or twelve passenger airplane. Uh, one of those engines on a, on a twenty six hundred pound single. I mean, he climbs. His, his continuous rate of climb is four thousand plus. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then, zoom climb at the end of the runway. Yeah, that's but incredible. I think I'll true out at 3:30. I think he, he flight plans for 300 knots, uh, and I don't know, burning probably 50 gallons an hour, maybe something like that. That's pretty incredible. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah, I've seen that. Those planes, that, uh, the, the engine counting is massive on those airplanes. Just the, yeah. I feel like the the plane is like a half of the engine, and the other half is the four seat, like you said. Exactly. Which is pretty cool. <laughs> They're pretty cool to see. The engine isn't really that long or that large. It's just moving the center of gravity, keeping the center of gravity in, in balance. You've got to move the engine forward. You'll see that on a lot of the single engine turboprops, like the Pilatus, like yep. the TB, like the Evolution. Uh, Piper's, Piper's got a, a turbine version of their Mirage called the M600 and the M500. Yep. The same same thing with those airplanes. Yeah. So um, when you guys go fly together, if you guys are flying to the same place in different airplanes, is he, beat you, is he uh, dominating you in the speed or is it not that <laughs> Yeah, I mean, his airplane, you know, is 100 knots faster than the airplane. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's funny, just just flashback back to college when, when Austin and I met, you know, and we used to, we were both college students, we were both doing engineering degrees, and uh, we were both renting airplanes. We were renting very similar airplanes back then, but but uh, we did a lot of flying for the flying club, and we used to go out and, 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 and kind of kind of chase each other through, like, a little river valley area out in <laughs> West Ames, Iowa, over Boone, Iowa. That's cool. Back, brings back a lot of fun memories. Where'd you guys go to college? Iowa State, Iowa okay. State, Ames, Iowa. Oh yeah, yeah. Think, I've heard of Ames before. Austin started at Carnegie Mellon, and uh, truth be told, he he failed out because he was always <laughs> in his room hacking away on his simulator. His, his yeah. simulator was his life, his, his life passion, his, his pet his pet project, and uh, he ended up moving to Iowa State. I met him there, but and at that point, X plane, and back then it was called Archer Two IFR. The the program uh, had already been you know been developed for a couple of years, two years maybe, and and I remember Austin telling me is. Is this kid I just met, a pilot, a guy in the flying team, you know, oh, yeah, did I ever show you my simulator? And, and we looked down, and I was like, wow. That, that, I mean, I was expecting just like a, like a green bar for the horizon and some very basic instruments, like the very early yeah. flight ACES program. And, and even at that point, even in 1992, you know, when he'd only been writing it for maybe three or four years, it was, it was pretty well developed. It was yeah. pretty when did uh when would you say first of all the name x-plane is a lot better than archer 2 ifr so good job on changing the name yeah. when yeah. would you say that x-plane started actually taking off no pun intended sure so uh i mean originally it was called archer 2 ifr because that's the airplane that austin was flying yeah. archer 2, and he was, he, was, he was stuck in, the, in this ifr flight i told you yeah so uh he changed the name to x-plane before he founded the company right out of college we both graduated in 93 uh so and, and the, the concept there was to name the, the program after all of the research airplanes, like the X-15 and the X-1A that, that Chuck Yeager broke the, 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 the sonic barrier in. Oh, that's cool. So X-Plane at its core is an engineering-based simulator, and you can actually flight test 
an airplane and predict the flying performance and the flying qualities and the handling characteristics of the airplane using X-Plane. We have companies all over the world that use X-Plane in this, in this endeavor. You may not have known that. You may have thought that X-Plane was more of a game or a toy or, or something for, for pilots to use. But, but really, the foundation was, was for engineers to use. And companies like Lockheed Martin and Boeing and Airbus and Cessna and Cirrus and, I mean, anybody you can imagine, they've got a lot of UAV manufacturers now that buy X-Plane. They, they all buy X-Plane. They all use X-Plane. And predominantly, more than for the flight modeling and more than for pilot training, they're using it for aircraft design, you know, where they'll look at, at making a small change to an existing airplane. Maybe they add six inches to the semi-span of the wing, and they want to see how that change will impact the flying characteristics, the climb rate, the single-gen performance, the rolling and the pitching moments. They can do all of that and explain it in very, very short order and get an answer that, that's remarkably accurate. I'd say on, on average, probably 92% accurate or something like that. Oh, that's crazy. And they, if they like what they see, if they like what they've done in five minutes on X-Plane, and, and, and the commercial customers pay more money, the, the cost of the product is seven fifty. But if, if they like what they see, then they'll spend weeks and, and tens of thousands of dollars running their CFD uh, simulations to come back and confirm that, yeah, and they, they'll take it from the, the 92, 3, 4% uh, level of confidence on up to the, you know, the 99, the 99.5% of confidence. But what we give them in a very broad brush, very quick, very quick and easy fashion is, is, is remarkably powerful for, for all those companies I mentioned. Oh, yeah. I mean, what you said, it's $700, $750. Like if they could say just by using that, those quick five minutes, they could possibly save thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in research. So, I mean, that's amazing that they can do that. Yeah, it's truly cool. Fun. I've got, I mean, I've got Air Force pilots that use X-Plane. I've got charter pilots that use X-Plane. I've got airline pilots that use X-Plane. You know, it's, it's pretty much everyone everywhere is, is, is running X-Plane. And I think as our development team has grown, we've grown quite, quite broadly, actually, just in the last year and a half. We went from about four full-time employees to about, about eight or nine. So we've pretty much doubled our, our capability, doubled our productive staff. And I think as we look to the future, these people now are all pretty much fully vetted with the software and fully capable. You know, you hire somebody new and it, there's always a learning curve in a period where, where the new employee is a drag on the company, not a boon, right? Because yeah. you're spending time training them and how does this work and how does that work as, as they learn the systems, learn the code, learn the program, learn, learn the company. But now that uh, we've, we've doubled the workforce, now that all these people are fully on board and fully contributing, I think, I think by the time Explain 12 rolls around, you're going to see some stuff that's truly remarkable. And I think that the differential between ourselves and our main competitors, number one, is broadening. And number two, the pace of that, the pace of that exponential, exponential growth is, is going to just, just increase. Yeah. I think it's going to be... I, I, it's very exciting for me personally. I think if I, I fast forward five years, I fast forward 10 years, and I yeah. think of where the state of computer simulation and flight simulation is going to be, you know, we've been doing this already for 30, 30 years, 34 years. And our plan, mine and Austin's and, and others in the company is to be doing this in another 10, 20, 25 years. You know, we're, we're still young, young at heart at least. <laughs> exactly. That's the best way to be young. It doesn't matter on the outside. Just feel young at heart and you can just, nothing can stop you. Um, what, so you talked about the future a little bit. Do you guys have any plans for incorporating virtual reality and like uh, yeah. all that kind of stuff? Of course, yeah. Virtual reality was released to the masses uh, last Christmas, so it's been out now for eight months. Uh, it's pretty amazing. I mean, the first time I flew that I was, I was flying a Cessna Skyhawk, and you know, some people like to have a joystick in their hands, but there's a little bit of a disconnect between your virtual world and the simulated world that you're looking at, and then the physical world, and so. I mean, using the, the controllers, using the controllers for the Oculus Rift or, or the Vive, where the controllers you can just, just sim, in a simulated sense, reach up with your left hand and grab the yoke and reach up with your right hand and grab the throttle. And, and if you let go of the throttle with your right hand and they reach up and you grab the radios, and as you tune the knobs on the radios, you'll feel in the controller the click, 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 click as you rotate your hand going no from way. frequency to frequency. And so, you know, you can let go of the yoke and you can open the window next to you and if you open the window or if you're on the ground, you open the door and you stick your head out, the, the sound changes dramatically. That's incredible. F-Mod sound system. But the first time I was flying, for me, the most remarkable moment was I was sitting, I was seated in a seated position with these, these, these VR controllers in my hands and, and I was in a Cessna Skyhawk and I was flying along and I, I don't know why I did this, but I stood up and when I stood <laughs> up, my, it popped up through the top of the cabin and I was up above the wing and I could look down and I could see you know, I could see the, the windshield down below me with the propeller and, 
and the cowling in front of me, and I look to the left, and I'm looking down the top surface of the left wing with a little fuel cap, and 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 while your while your head is up above the airplane, you you pitch and you bank and you roll and you maneuver, and you're like, wow, this is <laughs> the coolest thing yeah. I've ever seen, you know. And really, truly, in VR is where you really get a sense of scale. It's where you walk up to the nose wheel on the 747, and you and and the top of the nose wheel is like is like an eyeball height, and you look above, and there's the strut above you, and there's there's the bay where 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 where, where the wheel retracts into, and and oh, there's the fuselage, and you look back over your right, oh, there's the wing, and there's the nacelles, and and it's so amazing because we're we're just at this very infinitesimal stage with virtual reality. You fast forward three years or five years, and I think I think it's going to be unbelievably. Yeah. Un- believable it's going to so, change the game without a doubt it's going to make it that much more realistic like you said like just the feel and the fact that you can if you did stand up it gives you a whole different perspective if someone hasn't actually flown a plane before like yeah. you actually feel like you are at the controls in the airplane if the sounds change so many sensories are being activated at once that it's just going to be amazing that's true so uh, i mean one of the new airplanes we we released with the virtual reality releases an aerofly it's a little ultra light airplane and uh, we did that specifically because it's an open cockpit. All you've got is, is a seat sitting on a frame with some wires around you, you know, and you can turn around behind you and see the engine sitting there and, and start the engine and, and uh, look out. And it's just, it's just an open, open world, unreal or, or, or un- unreal kind of experience where, uh, where you're flying along and you're just like, it's just the coolest thing, you know? And I think as the technology progresses, we're, we're so young again in the development of this technology Really, from the headstand head standpoint, uh, you know, we've got some manufacturers now that are coming out with 8K displays. You've got two two eyes. Each, each eye is a 4K, you know, little mini display that's in front of you. Mm-hmm. So I think as the technology improves and as the uh, uh, the, the screen resolution improves, you're going to be able to really just immerse yourself into, into this capability. And, and the biggest sea change I see is not only for gamers, but really for flight training. I mean, I've built... I had a company at one point that was building full cockpit simulators, and these were full cockpits you climb into with, with authentic replications of the avionics platform and the seats and, and the control sticks and yokes and big wraparound visual platforms. I mean, these, these are simulators that we sold for onwards of, of $300,000, and virtual reality is going to completely change that game. No longer will you have to buy a, a $300,000 or half a million or $5 million cockpit to replicate what it's like to fly an ATR-72. You know, yeah. You'll, to do that all virtually with some goggles and, and very quick software change. So, so I think for the flight training world, there's a sea change coming, and, and people see that. People know that. People expect it. But it's it's coming at, at, at kind of a shocking shocking pace. Yeah, and uh, for I just got um I just started flying the latitude citation latitude. So I was at flight safety and I was doing my type ride, and one of the parts is an exterior pre flight that you have to do. And when you're talking about seeing the 747 wheel with all the virtual reality stuff, I could see that being incorporated where you do it to yeah. do an exterior pre-flight check and they could, you could actually see the plane and you could touch it and you could, you could mess with it and you could show them how to pre-flight a plane. So like you said, just the things that you guys or anyone is going to be able to do with the virtual reality is absolutely incredible and it's going to change the game. Yeah, it is. It is. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And yeah. Computers are becoming ever more, more powerful and ever more capable and, and, uh, you know, it's it's kind of crazy where we're going. Yeah. Computers have only been around. I mean, the, the very first digital computer ever invented was at Iowa State University in like 1976 or oh, something. Oh, nice. That's cool. So, kind of a funny little tie-in. But computers have only been around really for like 40 years. Yeah. So not that long. In the history of humankind, in the history of technology, in the history of aviation or, or automotive history, you know, it's it's not that long. And you look right. at we've gone. Imagine what it'll be like 50 years from now. You, you can't even conceive of what uh, what my grandchildren will be, will be someday doing and acting in. And, and interacting with oh yeah i mean just think about when the iphone came out and then like you said who knows what our our, our grandkids our great grandkids are going to talk about like wait you actually had to talk on a phone it's like i just have to tap my brain and this and send this brainwave out and we can communicate yep. it's going to be it's going to be wild what's going to happen yeah well for people that are my age we already are feeling that right like, <laughs> like my kids are like oh that was a phone booth or, or they see you know like the super well, what's that what's it What's the, you know, that's a phone booth. You yeah, know, or, a rotary phone. It's like, wait, what do I do with this? Do I have to physically? My, my wife in college had one of the very first cell phones, and it was a bag phone. It was literally a strap over her shoulder with a big leather satchel she'd open up, and then that was the battery and the, and, and, and the actual telephone, and then she'd pull the handset out with the cord and talk on the handset, you know. And, and back in the early 90s, that was, like, amazing. That was, yeah. like, that, that's a phone? 
And that's, that's not that long ago either. So the, uh, what's amazing how fast we, we have more processing power in our cell phones than I'm pretty sure what they did when they launched the, shuttle, the very first shuttle. Oh, you're, you're, you're right by a factor of 10. You're, yeah, exactly. it's unbelievable. It's just to think that they are able to – what they could do with that technology. Just imagine what they could do if they had this te- – I mean, it's just crazy. Technology is amazing. Yeah, you're right. I mean, in the, in the moonshots in the 60s, you know, they had some onboard – and those weren't digital computers, so there were nothing like that. They were more mechanical computers. But, but, but the early Casio wristwatches, and we're talking about nothing like you know the Apple Apple Watch or anything. I mean, those had had better and more advanced computing power than 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 NASA had in in, in the late sixties. <laughs> That's amazing. That's crazy. Well, uh, I always do a section called the rapid fire section on my podcast, and I just ask random aviation themed questions, or sometimes not aviation themed, and you just come up with the first thing that comes to your mind. Great. You ready? Yo. All right. What is your favorite airplane? Piper Mirage. What is the ugliest airplane that you've ever seen? All right. So here's an interesting story. At Oshkosh, every year you see, and I'm trying to get a name of the airplane. That thing is fast as heck. I mean, it's <laughs> incredibly fast, but it literally looks like looks like a looks like it ran in a brick wall, and the tail is just. <laughs> I can't think of the name of it later. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to do some googling. And I'll, I'll text it or email it to you later. All right. That sounds good. I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you on that yeah. one. And I always like asking that question because it's funny to hear what people think. People, I think the Piaggio is one of the ugliest planes, and I'm in the minority, I think, from that. Yeah. Other people love it, so it's it's interesting. <laughs> no, 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 no. If you ask me on, on cars, it would be the, it'd be the, uh, the Pontiac Aztec. Just oh, there you go. That I would have to agree with you. When they came out with that car, it was it was shocking. If you remember, it was on Survivor, and they and they gave that away to like the winner of Survivor, and you could – Open up the back and have like a like a tent that was in the back of your car if you wanted to. And he probably know. he or she probably sold that car immediately because like I don't want this car. <laughs> okay, so let's stop knocking Pontiac. All right. Yeah. <laughs> what is so? Say you're uh, you're traveling for work and you're going through the airport. You're starving. What is your favorite airport food? What's your go-to? Uh, all right. So I'm I'm on like a health food kick and I'm working on on making good healthy choices and what I'm what I've been eating for the last three months. Very often are vegetable smoothies, which sounds weird, I know, but you'll see a lot of juice bars that have like veggie smoothies. I've got one, I've got one right in front of me right now, actually. So, <laughs> so, yeah, so I, especially in the bigger airports like O'Hare or LaGuardia or something, you know, you can always find something that's a bit more healthy in it. Yeah. Not the traditional pizza or hot dog right. or hamburger. Yep. You know? Gotcha. What is your favorite airline livery? Uh, I'd say United. I'd say the kind of the traditional United with, 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 the, with the, the image on, on the, on the, the water, the vertical stab. Yeah. yeah. What's your favorite airline to fly on? Uh, I don't know. You know, it's funny because being a private pilot, I don't fly on the airlines all that often. Right. Uh, I, I don't think I have a favorite. I mean, I'm, I'm an American Advantage member, so I buy American just so I can get my points. Right? Exactly. Whoever gives you the most points, right? Yeah, that's that's the answer. To be honest, yeah. yeah. What's your favorite city to overnight in? To overnight in. Uh, Vegas, for obvious Vegas. <laughs> Is that with the family or is that by yourself? Yeah, both. <laughs> That's awesome. With, with the family, we always do like the, uh, the Cirque du Soleil shows, you know. Oh, like, cool. Like, yeah. What's your favorite airport to fly in and out of? Uh, I've been in Telluride, Colorado, highest airport in, in, in the continental U.S. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like, I'm trying to, it's been a while since I've been there. We actually took a Skyhawk, took a, took a Cessna 172 SB uh, into Telluride once. And we departed out of Telluride. And the density altitude, I mean, it, it's up there. It's like 9,000 to Oh, feet. yeah. You're at like 10,000 feet. And uh, we, were, we were climbing out on departure from, from whatever the runway was. And we're like, okay, we have to cross this, this range of mountains. There's a ridge in front of us. And we look ahead and we'd be like, there's a dip and dip. We're like, okay, the third dip. We're, we're going to keep on climbing, paralleling the ridge. And at the third dip, we're going to cross. And you get there, you're like, nope, go two more. You know, and we have to like <laughs> down this mountain trying to, because you're climbing at, you know, 100 feet. 150. Yeah. It's but, crazy. Uh, density. Uh, that airport's wild. Density to altitude. Oh, that's crazy. My memorable place. Yeah. Would you say that's the most difficult airport you've flown in and out of too? Uh, no. Short strips. Uh, down in Table Rock Lake, down in, in, in Branson, Missouri. There's, okay. there's, I used to take the Baron. It was a 2,200-foot strip. Oh, Baron. My Baron was by far the biggest airplane that, that they would see frequently. Yeah. And he uh, yeah, actually suffered a flat tire in the middle of their runway on a 2,000-foot strip, 2,200-foot, that kind of shut down the runway. And, and there you are. With no tools, you know, nothing, trying to figure out how you're going to change a tire. Right? Without, without, <laughs> so. Was that from slamming on the brakes, trying to make sure you got stopped, or was it just a, no, a bad tire? No, it was just, it, we landed, they were fine, we spent the day, we went to take off, and the, 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 the runway was kind of a kind of a broken up asphalt runway, so I would taxi on, on the grass to protect the props, and so I was back taxiing down the runway to, to take off, and, 
And I was like, holy cow, I've got to carry so much power. And the first thing I thought was the, the grass is soft. You know, so yeah. I moved the plane over, over to the kind of the broken asphalt again, trying to protect the props. Nervous, you're picking up rocks. And still, I'm like, holy cow. I mean, I'm carrying like 2,000 RPM just a taxi, which clearly was, was, was atypical. A red flag, I yeah. Pulled, I, pulled, I, pulled the power, I pulled the power back, and as the airplane came to, st- came to stop, it was dun, 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 you know? And I'm like, <laughs> and, and I knew I had a flat at, at that moment. You're like, oh, this makes sense. Everything's adding up now. Yep, 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 exactly. But again, try and, try and, try and, and hoist a, a Beechcraft Baron that's sitting in the middle of a runway, closing an airport, you know, to get the, the tire off and then you have to try and figure out what you're going to do with, with this, this flat tire. So Yeah, I landed with a flat tire and uh, when I was doing my flight training in Charlotte, North Carolina at Monroe, it's K-E-Q-I, yeah. and we yeah. landed, we touched down, we knew we, we didn't know we had a flat tire, but we could pretty much instantly tell and we were able to keep it under control, but we were able to turn off on a taxiway so we didn't close the runway down. But then maintenance came out and it wasn't an issue, but it still, it took a while for maintenance scheme to come out there. So I can't imagine what you had to go through to go ahead and change that tire. <laughs> We didn't have any tools. We didn't have any jacks to lift the airplane up. You know, so it was it was interesting. And it's hard enough to push a Baron when you have probably the fuel you need to get in and out, or even if it's empty, that thing's still heavy. You need some. Uh, you need a couple. Uh, you need some extra manpower for that one. Well, yeah, the empty weight was thirty. If I remember right, thirty six fifty. So yep. and that's without any fuel, of course. So yes, it's and then and that's with tires that roll, not. yeah exactly all right i have let's see i have two more what is what would you rather fly over the mountains beach or the country beach all right and if you weren't going to be a pilot what else would you want to be so say like you i know you always said you always kind of were interested in aviation but if you could do one thing other than that what's uh what, what was the other dream uh i'm into cars as you can tell from from some of the past things, so probably to be honest, probably like a race car driver, probably an F one driver. Or oh, like that. that'd be cool. I like that. Like yep. I said, I grew up in Charlotte, so I was always in a NASCAR, and just I love going fast, so it'll be a lot of fun. Cool. Yep, for sure. Yeah, cool. Well, that's pretty much all. I have uh, one more question for you. It's gonna be pretty simple. It is, if someone came up to you and they said that they want to become a pilot, what are three things that you would tell them as the most important three things that they can always keep in their mind, whether it's further down the career when they're flying or right away? Okay. So the first thing is when you're looking at buying your first airplane, like I said before, go low, go slow, right? So you start, you start small, you go big. Even if you have somebody who's got the financial capability, you don't buy a, a Platus. You don't, you don't buy a, a Baron to, to start off. Second thing is, with every decision you make, and, and to be honest, we should use this for all of our lives, not only aviation, <laughs> every decision you make, say, say, is this worth my life? If, if, you're, if you're talking about drinking and driving or, or get, get theritis or, or penetrating a little, a little line of, of cells in front of you or a line of weather or, or one cloud that, that's blocking your vision, is, is, is this worth my life? Because people, people forget that sometimes. And uh, the third thing is, is fly safe. Just, just fly safe. Sa- safety first. Yep. I completely agree. Those are, real, those, those are safety themed, I guess you can tell. Well, not. yeah, I mean, that's the most important thing in aviation is safety. And it's one of the things that is overlooked probably most when it comes to flying too. Like, uh, I mean, just building your time, it's a crapshoot sometimes with the companies yeah. out there. So it's uh, you got to be safety minded. And I think, is it worth my life is probably one of the most important questions you can ask yourself every single day. Is it worth my life flying into this red thunderstorm cell just so I can get this product here two minutes early, you know? So just, just take a step back and think about it. It's very easy to be in your armchair listening to this at home, right? To be sitting there in your living room saying, Oh, I would never make that decision. But until you're there, I mean, there was there, real, real quick story we can end with if you want. There was a beach baron that I saw in, at the Branson Municipal Airport. And I liked the airplane so well in, in reference to the paint. I took some pictures of it. And I later read an accident report in Flying Magazine, actually, uh, an article, a periodical called Aftermath, which, which kind of reviews accidents. And it was that same airplane. That same day I was there, a couple hours later, there was a grandfather that had flown in and was picking up his, his grandkids. And on departure, he went to take off and he had problems with the engine and, and aborted the takeoff and went back and tried again and had problems and aborted the takeoff and taxied back. And, and you just got to say, is this worth my life? Right? right. So on the third attempt, they lost the engine and had a VMC rollover and, oh, no. and three fatalities. And I read about it and I was like, I mean, it really hit me because I was like, I saw that airplane. I was there and I mean, I didn't see the accident clearly, but right. So it's, uh, if, if you're going to take off once, twice and you have any engine problems, I think that's when you, you say, I'm not, I'm not going to investigate. I'm not going to, not going to risk my life. Yeah, I'm not a test pilot. I don't want to figure out what happens when this when this plane fails when I'm flying out. So yeah, I completely agree. Uh, before yeah. we go, tell me where someone can buy X plane, 
what the website cool. is, maybe social media, plug that, the price, and just kind of uh, give me a, a one reason why someone should buy X-Plane. Well, X-Plane is just the absolute best value in all of aviation. I mean, for, for the cost of a few gallons of av gas, you can have a simulator running it. And this isn't even mobile, by the way. This is, this is desktop and laptop computers, Windows, Mac, Linux. The, the price is $60. And you can have a simulator that gives you all of the capabilities that you can ever conceive of doing in like a $20 million simulator through flight safety or something. It's, it's remarkably, remarkably capable, number one. Number two, uh, on the mobile platforms, the app is free. You don't even pay for it. So, so, so for the desktop product, go to xplane.com. That's x hyphen P-L-A-N-E.com. You can learn all about the program there. If you have questions, my personal cell number is, is on, the, on the support page. You can call me. I'll be happy to speak with anybody that has any questions about aviation or airplanes or X-Plane. On the mobile side, you either go to the Google Play Store on Android or to the Apple App Store on, on iOS and just type in X-Plane. It'll come up. Uh, in reference to social, social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat. So uh, you can just, just, just look in, in those local medias for, for X-Plane, X-Plane. You'll, you'll find us. Sweet. Perfect. Randy, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. I mean, X-Plane is just changing the game like we talked about, like the things you can do and just the future of X-Plane, what it's going to bring to flight training or for companies that are building airplanes or just who knows. I mean, we probably don't even know what the full capabilities of a company like X-Plane or what virtual reality and flight training is going to change. So I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on. I think people really, really love this podcast. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm very, very happy to be here. Thanks for calling. And that is a wrap of episode number 40. Aviation, I cannot believe there has been 40 episodes already. It is just crazy to me. I'm so thankful for you guys listening to the podcast, leaving reviews, letting me know what you like, what you don't like, what I can improve on. I truly listen to every single one of your comments and read the reviews. And I, it just encourages me to see that you guys like this podcast and that you have been able to, to use this for inspiration to continue your training or to start your training in aviation. Always, guys, if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Instagram at Pilot the Pilot. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash Pilot the Pilot. And you can check out our website, pilotthepilothq.com. Aviation, hope you have a great day and happy flying. As always, I want to give a huge shout out to my $20 a month Patreon supporters, John McCall, Micah Maziar, and Stu Dollar. Guys, thank you so much. I appreciate you and I appreciate that. If you want to get a shout out at the end of every episode, go ahead and check out patreon.com slash Pilot the Pilot.